This is The Rational Perspective, and I'm Alec Hogg. Today we talk about Dr. Nouriel Rabini and his chilling warning on Bitcoin. I first came across Nouriel Rabini in 2007. It was at the World Economic Forum in Davos. Well, back then, the WEF's annual meeting would run from the last Tuesday in January in the evening, when it started off with a, a wonderful concert, right through until Sunday lunchtime, where it ended with a brunch at the Schatzalp, high above the uh, town of Davos. The first must-attend session of the entire meeting was a high-powered panel discussion on the World Economic Outlook. It was held at 9 o'clock on a Wednesday morning. You've got to get there early to get yourself a seat. Back in 2007, the mood amongst the cream of the world's economists who were on that panel was buoyant. Professor Laura Tyson from the University of California, Berkeley, and the former chair of the American President's Council of Economic Advisers, reflected what most of them were thinking when she put forward her case. Go beneath the surface that there are some reasons to be very optimistic uh, for the coming year. Uh, first of all, we're, we're enjoying a long-run trend. Um, our colleague Ken Rogoff has done some very good work on this, uh, of reduced volatility in both output and financial markets interest rates. Second of all, there is real rebalancing now going on uh, in growth across countries. Uh, so the world is no longer as dependent on a, a single locomotive, the United States. In fact, of course, last year is a milestone year for the global economy because in real purchasing power parity terms, the emerging markets became more than half of the world economy, which is why almost half of this panel uh, it consists of representatives from uh, the emerging market economies. Uh, if you look at projections for this coming year, what you'll see is an amazing similarity of predicted growth rates for the U.S., Europe, and Japan in the nature of 2, 2 and a quarter percent. We haven't seen that kind of a convergence of growth rates in quite some time. What it really means is that Europe and Japan have picked up and the U.S. has slowed down. And so on. Tyson, the man she quotes, Harvard professor Kenneth Rogoff, famous Israeli economist, Jacob Frenkel, who was on the panel, he's now the chairman of J.P. Morgan Chase, and counterparts from China and India all sang from the same hymn sheet, the sunshine emanating from leading economists just months before the world was hit by the great financial crisis was blinding. But a Cassandra did exist, his name, Nouriel Rabini, a man so far out of the mainstream that he soon became referred to as Dr. Doom. A video of that 2007 World Economic Forum panel discussion shows the other economists passing each other ho-hum glances during what turned out to be Rubini's chillingly accurate two-and-a-half-minute prediction of what was just around the corner. Nouriel, all this good news is almost, almost sickening. Uh, uh, we've, 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 we've come four-fifths of the way around the table, uh, and everyone's uh, seen nothing but, uh, uh, but uh, blue skies ahead. Um, uh, you may not agree. Yeah, somebody has to play contrarian. I would say that the main threat to the global economy is the question of whether 
the U.S. economic slowdown is going to turn into a soft landing or rather a hard landing. And that, but I believe that actually there are some meaningful risks that actually the U.S. is going to end up into a hard landing. And the hard landing could take two forms. Uh, one that is less likely today, an outright recession, but the other one I think is more likely a period of growth recession, meaning a period of time in which the growth rate of the economy is between zero and one percent for a few quarters as opposed to being two and a half percent. And the reason why I say it's that is that in my view, first of all, the housing recession is uh, getting worse. We have still falling uh, building permits. That means low, lower starts, lower construction, lower completion, and with a lag that's going to lead to a significant fall in employment, about half a million jobs in the housing sector. And now there is some elements of a contagion from the housing recession to other parts of the economy. Uh, with a lag, there's going to be a reduction in residential construction. That makes sense. You know, Janet Yellen, president of the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco spoke about these ghost towns in the West, uh, empty developments and outside of Las Vegas or California and so on. So why would you build a shopping center offices if nobody's living there? So it's going to be spillover from residential, non-residential. And we are now also in the verge of a recession in the auto sector and in the manufacturing sector. The signals have been very weak in terms of production and employment. And everybody said if there's going to be a housing recession and if there's going to be a slowdown in consumption, we're going to have a pickup in investment by the corporate sector because the corporations are full of profits and earnings. It's true. But uh, what's happened is that actually in the last couple of months, capital goods orders have been falling. So firms have tons of profits, but they're not investing and they're giving back to the shareholders. We've had the biggest U.S. share buyback bonanza in U.S. history, $500 billion of share buyback. means that firms are not finding profitable investment. Now, of course, housing by itself cannot cause a hard landing because it's only 6% of GDP. And the crucial thing is consumption, that is 70% of GDP in the United States. And the question is whether it's going to have spillovers on consumption over time. My view is yes, it's going to happen over 2007. Why? You're going to have now these losses in jobs, in housing, and then in the manufacturing sector, and those are going to increase while job creation in the service sector is going to slow down. Real wages have not been growing very fast relative to productivity in the last few years. The U.S. consumers had for the last few years negative savings, and how has been able to consume more than its income by essentially borrowing against his housing wealth, essentially using his home as an ATM machine. And this kind of a wealth effect has been driving consumption. Now wealth effect is falling because of falling housing prices, the reduced mortgage equity withdrawal, and now there is a resetting of all these adjustable mortgage rates. So debt servicing costs are going up, wealth is falling, and it's going to have a negative effect on consumption. So I worry about the U.S. hard landing. Well, all, I think at least three of the optimists have been trying to catch my eye for the, for the last few minutes to take issue. Jacob, you go first. Well, uh, just to make it uh, fun, but also serious, I really disagree. Yeah, yeah. And we know who was right on that one. Well, when the market started crashing, Rubini was elevated to guru status in the media. Dr. Doom became Dr. Right. And ever since... When the consensus looked too cozy, like many others, I've sought him out as the voice of truth. So my ears perked up when the Bloomberg surveillance team caught up with the inimitable New York University professor to ask Rubini about Bitcoin. His response is in a similar vein to those warnings that he made ahead of the great financial crisis. Listen up. First of all, for a long time, the regulators were asleep at the wheel where all this scam was occurring. I mean, think about the ICOs. These are just things that are created to skirt completely securities laws. You know, you invest in a company, you get debt or equity. In this case, what you get? A plastic token that gives you rights on nothing. This should be illegal, but thousands of ICOs have occurred. 
So for many, many months, they were asleep at the wheel and then even allowed these uh, derivatives uh, futures being created. Luckily now, the God religion have said that these ETF that they wanted to create that were essentially going investing into liquid cryptocurrency would not be allowed. But it's been too little, too late so far. They put massive margin requirements on them <clears throat> to trade futures north of 40%. But given the price action of the last month, you wonder whether north of 40% was enough, <clears throat> Professor. It was not enough. You know, Bitcoin has fallen in value by 60%, you know, in six weeks. That is volatility of 20, 30% per day has fallen 30% in last month, 15% overnight. Uh, you need much higher margin requirements. I mean, there's typical situation which a bunch of insiders pump it higher and higher. It was outright path manipulation and every sucker was a retail investor bought at the peak between Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year at 20,000 and they lost their shirt. This was really a scandal. This was outright criminal manipulation. So There's strong evidence that the price of Bitcoin has been manipulated. So what is that evidence that the price of Bitcoin has been manipulated? What are you uh, looking at specifically? Well, there are several things. There have been some econometric studies that suggest that these uh, alternative currency teeter, that is a fiat currency is printing $2 billion of money out of nowhere. Fiat is not mined. Teeter, USDD, has been used to prop up the value of Bitcoin in the last few months. This econometric study suggests that without this manipulation, the price of Bitcoin will be down up to 80%. There's another study published on the Journal of Monetary Economic that suggests that when the price went from 150 to 1500, there was outright again pump and dump and manipulation. There's clear evidence well, of manipulation. What's so important here is as sacred as the bid and the ask. And whether it's Drew Fudenberg or Alvin Roth, the Nobel laureate, in every advanced economics textbook, there's a thing called auction theory. Dr. Rubini, I'm, I'm not editorializing. I'm simply stating a fact. I don't see transparent bid-ask processes in Bitcoin. Do you? No. Uh, there is no transparency of any sort. There are lots of exchanges that are in offshore financial center. Many of them have not been audited. There is this Bitfinex that owns Teeter. Teeter has been creating money literally out of What'd nowhere. What did you say, Teeter? Honestly, it's the biggest scam ever because they claim that they have about $2 billion of money backing the one-to-one -one fixed exchange rate between this Teeter and the U.S. dollar. There is absolutely no evidence of it. Bitfinex, that is this criminal exchange, is controlling this other company, Teeter, that is creating money out of nowhere, pretending that it's backed by real dollars. They cannot have converted them back into real dollar, and they've been using it for the last few months to push up the price of Bitcoin. Really? It's really a criminal activity. So to all the Bitcoin enthusiasts, you have been warned. Our feature today was Dr. Nuro Rabini, one of the world's most respected economists, and the only one who accurately predicted the 2007 global financial crisis. This has been The Rational Perspective. I'm Alec Hogg. Until the next time, cheerio.